the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Pretty cool to have a theme song. I know you're going to work right now. You're driving. How great would it be to like go through security and start hearing some ACDC playing for you? Pretty cool, right? Oh. Or you come home and your wife starts blasting the beatbox for you. Anyhow, anyway, I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Markets are in the red. Markets are in the red. Uh, that's what I have to say about that, right? What a week. What a week. Some crazy day yesterday in the capital markets. Oil prices gained, at one point in time, 10%. The price moves we've had up and down this week, and sometimes down and up, or just straight down, or straight up, have been nuts on the S&P 500 and on oil and on the Dow and on the NASDAQ. At one point in time this week, Apple was trading for 92 bucks. Two days later, it was up 20%. <laughs> like, oh. Now, some people don't like that. I say opportunity knocking. S&P 500 coughed up nearly all of an early 2.5% gain in mid-afternoon trading, only to gain nearly all of it back in the last hour of trading. We were up, we went down, we went right back up. In a word, it was crazy. I haven't seen this crazy since my first wife. She was bat crazy. Literally within like uh, three months of marriage, she was on the internet hitting up on a guy from uh, France who was on a board of directors and like trying like, what? Pretty bat crazy, right? He was her dad's age. You want to hear the word yuck? Yucky, yucky, yucky. Don't look now, but the Dow Jones Industrial Average, NASDAQ, and S&P all are positive for the week. That's not a crazy thing to write or to say or to note. But in this week, when considering how things started on Monday, where we were down 1,000 points on the Dow at the open, 
pretty downright astounding. At the Monday lows, the Dow, the NASDAQ, the SP 500 were down 6.6%, 8.8%, and 5.3% respectively. I've never seen anything like this. At their highs, up 8.4%, 12.3%, and 6.6% from those lows. Wow. So the NASDAQ at one point in time was down 8.8% this week, and then a couple days later, it's up 12.3% from those lows. Generally speaking, the indices pivoted. They overshot. They oversold. They overbought. Short-term basis um, trend to the left, trend to the right. Apple was a bear in a bear market on Monday. So at one point in time on Monday, Apple had fallen from 133 to 92, which is 30%, which is a bear market. 20% is a bear market. Um, down 20% from its high. And then from its low, it was up 20%. So in one week, Apple was in a bear market and a bull market. Um, the speed at which the sell-off and the rebound occurred has left everyone grappling to explain why it happened, what it means, and what comes next. There's no real explanation. While there might be reason to feel better about the market after the recent rebound, all this week's action truly succeeded in doing was damage retail investor psychology. When the stock market goes up and down, we go, I don't want a piece. I, I, honey, we're not going on vacation. Or honey, we're going to the Grand Canyon instead of going to Hawaii. My favorite Flintstones episode ever, Barney and uh, Fred were driving to Rock Vegas. And uh, they go over a teeny tiny stream, and it says Grand Canyon. Or it says, yes, it's Grand Canyon. It's just a teeny tiny little stream. And Fred says to Barney, he goes, it doesn't look like much now, but in a couple thousand years, it's going to be pretty grand. I love the cartoons that have more adult humor than kid humor. Anyway, I'm off topic. Um, so investor psychology got hurt this week. Again, I don't want to spend a lot of money because I, I feel like at one point in time last week, I looked at my portfolio and I was like down $200,000. <laughs> I was like, you win some, you lose some, right? And I didn't panic. I just cracked open a beer. You know, that's what you do in those kind of times. Here comes the king, here comes the king, he's number one. And no, I will never drink Budweiser. So I don't wash my car with Budweiser. In an attempt to save water in the state of California, Governor Jerry Brown has asked people to wash their cars with Coors Light because it's more water than it is beer. What we I could use a rim shot or anything. Might be a little late, but thank you, thank you. I will be here all week. Don't forget to tip your waiters and waitresses. And try the veal. It's succulent. Succulent baby lamb veal. It's a combination. <laughs> hey oh I need a sidekick. That's what Chad Burton's good for. He could go, ho 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 ho! You're correct, sir. Is he still alive? Okay. Johnny's dead, but sidekick uh man's still alive. Um so a crazy session in China today. I think we've heard this story a couple times this week. And yesterday was a great day in China. The Shanghai Composite jumped as much as 3.4% in the final 90 minutes of trading and into the day with a 4.8% gain. Um, the Chinese government is probably really doing everything it can to prop up stock prices to a point that it will compel skittish investors to sell into strength. So when 
the government like says, okay, you're not going to be allowed to be using margin. You're not. We're going to let people put stocks in their pension fund. We're going to let people buy individual stocks. Um, China's like just they're kind of experimenting with what their stock market should be and or shouldn't be. So at this point in time, people don't trust it. It's like the Greek banks. The Greek banks a couple months ago, they said like, we're going to shut the doors for a week because we don't want people taking all their money out. And then the day they opened them up, people took all their money out. The more you sometimes try to fix the dike, and I'm not talking sexual term, I'm talking Dutch, Danish, dams, and a little kid with a big finger puts his finger in the dike and or on the dike and stops the water. Another uh, hole opens up. So in that you trying to control things with government, it's usually a bad idea. You want the free markets to do it. July personal income and spending report was largely in line with expectations, meaning it didn't show any ramp of inflation pressure. Yay. Personal incomes rose four-tenths of a percent today. Expected personal spending increased three-tenths of a percent. Um, with July data, prices are up about three-tenths of a percent year over year. That's nice. Uh, while core PCE prices are up just 1.2%. So this is moving in the wrong direction if you're the Federal Reserve and want to raise interest rates because it's not inflationary. Fed Vice Chairman Fisher is going to be given a closely watched speech today at the Kansas City Economic Symposium in Jackson Hole. That's a lot of uh, a lot of words, huh? Um, so people are going to be paying attention. What does the Fed governor who's talking in public say today? From my vantage point, when you take a look at some of the pricing data, which is the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, suggests that the case for a rate hike in September is less compelling than it was just a couple weeks ago. Um, so the market kind of responded to that a little bit with positive uh, animal spirits bullishness this morning. We were set for a big open down. We didn't quite get it. It was a small open down. We'll see where we go as the day goes on. Um, end of action on Tuesday when the market started to sell off. A lot of individual investors sold their mutual funds on Monday and um, probably going to regret it. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. How many days till Christmas? About 120, right? We're in August. The year goes by fast, doesn't it? Hopefully you've maxed out your 401k. Um, I think that's the number one thing people can do is put as much money into their retirement fund as they can. 118 days till Christmas. I was only off by two. Not bad, huh? So I know, I know. I'm kind of a big deal. So there's a story out there today, and the headline reads, Oracle is losing sales execs in this critical area to an upstart formed by one of its former presidents. That headline tells you a lot. Oracle was once a high-flying tech company, and there was a lot of money to be made as the stock went from 10 to 100. As the company goes from startup to darling 
to middle-aged, it's a lot tougher to give employees that sexy incentive of options that are going to work out in their favor without hurting shareholders because the growth just isn't there. Oracle senior management sales team held a four-hour strategy powwow over the company's plans to sell software and hardware to retail companies, a huge and important market. The meeting didn't include the CEO in charge of sales, Mark Hurd, but the rumors is that Hurd is now involved. Amongst the concerns, Oracle will soon have a new competitor in retail, Infor, run by former Oracle president Charlie Phillips. Infor has been successfully poaching some VP-level salespeople from Oracle's retail unit. Oracle doesn't break out the sales figures from its retail unit, but is one of the biggest success stories. So... Infor's retail talent poaching is a no-brainer. The exodus of people to Infor isn't surprising. When Phillips joined Infor as CEO in 2010, he hired a few of his favorite execs away from Oracle, including Duncan Agov. Um, this is the story of tech. And you have to understand that like, Facebook at some point in time won't be hip and cool. And the employees will go, I want to go work for the next big thing. Companies get old. So social companies right now, and I started with the Oracle example. Now I'm going to go for social networking and social startups. What's getting funded now? Are you with me? What's the new pitch deck, so to speak? Or what's being incubated? Security is the hot new ticket right now. So if you have any ability to do security coding, security sales, now's a good time to start listing listening and, and listing the companies that are out there. Um, take, you know, write down the companies, Ashley Madison, Sony, Target, just to name a few of the companies that had massive hacks. They say Tiffany's going to have a great year this year because of how many men have been caught by their wives because you can go to a website and type in your husband's name and it'll come up if whether or not, you can even put in your street name, street address and it'll show you who's been cheating and who hasn't. Um, or who's been trying to cheat because we also learned that there was actually fewer than 4,000 actual women on Ashley Madison, but something like 15 million men. <laughs> Those aren't good odds, guys. You know what I heard? This is cute. Uh, one of my friends is under 30. And uh, he said, you know, actually going to a bar now and meeting a woman and picking her up, quote unquote, it's like super easy because they're all so tired of Tinder where like, you know, you're just texting people, texting people, texting people. It's, ah, refreshing. Someone who actually says, Hello. So it's funny how that plays out, right? So anyway, security startups are multiplying incredibly fast right now compared with the on-demand delivery space where every company is delivering a different product but in a similar way. Security startups are approaching the problems in incredibly wide-ranging fashions, and no one has really emerged with winning standards yet. Security is going to be huge the next five years. Hardware startups are growing. Um, there are 20 hardware startups that just presented at an incubator con uh, conference. It's not just iterations of the smartwatch, though. Startups are creating everything from a Keurig for vegetables to a sandwich-making robot. Hardware has proved to be a success, with Fitbit having the most successful IPO of the year, and startups are jumping on the bandwagon uh, to make everything smarter. There's actually a company who's trying to make your mattress smarter to help you sleep better. I know you're saying, I, I get the smartwatch. I don't get the smart mattress. What about pee on it? Well, who's peeing on mattresses? What's wrong with you? Can't you control your bladder? What's wrong with you? Um, other things that are getting funded and you know, where the startups are, how we hire and recruit employees. Several startups are looking to upend the hiring process by making it more efficient for businesses. 
What does that mean for the job seeker? It means you may be taking an automated test, whether you are a coder or an accountant, and interviewing with an outside company first. If these companies you know, will whittle down the talent, run the background check, and do the initial phone screen before a hiring company even sees the candidate. So you're seeing more and more of that. Um, I'll, be care- I'll be honest with you, though. You know, sometimes when you run these tests to see if an employee is compatible or not, um, I've come up with some big losers on that, where they say it's totally compatible, and then there's the, a box that you check about, like, do you have social problems? <laughs> do, you, do you hit on people? Do you, do you have social problems? Social startups are dead. Social startups are dead. Out of the 146 companies that recently pitched, only two were social networks. One focused on alumni as a networking platform, and the other started as a dating app for lesbians before it pivoted into a social network for women. Not a single messaging alternative, not another photo sharing app, um, no location check-in, nothing. Everyone now is an X or Y in the world of future startups. There's Bloomberg for investors and Bloomberg for government data, Twitch for living coding, a product during a three-month pitch. If you say you are an Uber for moving, a user will be expected to open an app and call a moving van. It'll just be hard for these companies to be that one bird that becomes a billion-dollar company when a similar bird has already emerged. So big data is huge right now. And Uber's got a very nice niche. Startups are looking outside the Silicon Valley. This was interesting in what I was reading. Life in San Francisco could be pretty easy. Food and cars can arrive on your doorsteps. Startups, though, are finally turning their eyes to other markets and taking Silicon Valley outside of the U.S. So if I'm a real estate developer or if I'm renting to people, know that that party may start drying up. Um, You know, Shaldal, C-H-A-L-D-A-L, sorry if I butchered that, is the Amazon fresh in Bangladesh in building micro warehouses throughout the density of Dhaka to deliver groceries. Other such companies like Red Carpet are taking India's local market system and upgrading it so customers can shop online thanks to installing a point-of-sale system. So San Francisco, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. It's always going to have Silicon Valley. But New York's taken a lot of thunder away from San Francisco in the past 5, 10 years with startups. Startups are going very niche, such as food delivery services on college campuses delivered by college students. Um, You're seeing more and more of this. Um, One product like coffee instead of delivering all kinds of food. So you want a coffee? We'll bring you coffee. Like, do we really need a delivery app for coffee? Can't we just get in our car and go get it? Uh, But Facebook is an example of how a niche can grow into something bigger. So something to throw out there for you. Facebook started as a social site for college students and became a global network. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You can find me online, robblack.com, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show, Facebook, Cron4, Rob Black. That's Cron4, Rob Black. Take a break here. We'll be right back talking Newsweek or International Business Times. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. To speak with, well, I guess I'm speaking now with Eric Markowitz from the International Business Times. How are you, Mr. Markowitz? Hey, how are you? Doing well. Um, Ten-year anniversary on Katrina and New Orleans, and everyone's talking about it on different levels. You've recently written an article, Meet the Man Who Runs New Orleans' Entirely Privatized City Surveillance System. What got this topic generated in your head as a something to write about? You know, this had been an issue that uh, the local papers had been covering for a little bit. Um, but basically, in New Orleans, you know, a city that has, frankly, a lot of crime, uh, there isn't a city-backed um, private or a city-backed camera surveillance system. Um, you know, in New York, in Boston, some cities have cameras all around the city that are fed to police, but New Orleans um, hasn't had that. Uh, and so a one local man basically started it himself. Is there a business model tied towards security and watching the streets of New Orleans? You know, he has filed this as a nonprofit, and the, the only business um, that really comes from it is when people put up a camera, and the way it works is um, he asks people, you know, just regular residents of New Orleans to put up a camera on their homes or their garages and face it towards the street. Um, he'll either sell them the camera or they can buy the camera themselves from whatever source they'd like. Um, he does charge them $10 a month to participate, and that's um, to, you know, defray the costs of of storing all of this um, live video feed, which is, you know, takes up a lot of space. Um, and then, you know, he he says that they make less than $100,000 a year doing this. Um, and so this isn't, you know, some massive moneymaker for him. He is really just a passionate, devoted guy to New Orleans and, and really wants to make the city safer. Um, and, it you know, it, it really has been working. He comes across as a bit of a vigilante. Um, <laughs> he, he's yeah, maybe <laughs> like a little bit of a Batman. A little bit of a Batman. He's watching the city. Um, does he have a staff that helps him? He has uh, three people that okay. work with him, but then there's also volunteers that, that pitch in. Um, and so it is sort of like a, a grassroots effort led by, led by this one guy named Brian Lagarde. Where does this go? Um, is this something that you think other cities will adopt as well? I don't think so. I mean, I think this is a pretty unique situation. Um, you know, there really aren't any other cities with um, privatized uh, you know, surveillance networks, um, at least I hope not. I mean, it's sort of a, in some ways, it's a little bit of a creepy concept, you know, just one guy who has access to all of these video feeds all around the city at any time of the day. Um, you know, here, I think it's being used for good, and there are there are plenty of instances in which uh, the videos that he that he has have been used in criminal investigations, and detectives will routinely come to him say, hey, you know, there was a burglary on the street. Do you have video of that? Um, and he'll even be listening to, to the police splatter, you know, the, the police radio uh, as things are unfolding. And he'll be pulling up live video feeds. And he has basically a direct line to New Orleans Police Department. And he'll even call them and let them know, hey, the suspect is wearing, you know, a black sweatshirt. Um, you know, this is what you should look out for. So it's, it's, it's really fascinating what he's doing. I hate to ask the question, but is he married? <laughs> he, yeah, I believe he is. Yeah, okay, this is pretty uh, he, obsessive to me. Uh, he, yeah, he's definitely a little bit obsessed with this. I think. Um, you know, I, I did ask him what his uh, what his hours were like, and uh, you know, he kind of gave me like a 
like, well, it's 24-7. You know, he's kind of on call at all times. There's a show on CBS, which is uh, some sort of brain-computer thing um, where it's monitoring crimes and the computer becomes too powerful. I don't even know. I saw <laughs> a couple episodes where I've heard about it and things. Is this something that can get out of control? Is this something like privacy concerns? Is government stepping in and shutting him down? Yeah, well, so far, I mean, I think on its surface, yeah, of course, it's a little bit weird. Uh, <laughs> but as far as the government shutting it down, you know, these, he's not doing anything wrong at all. Um, you know, these people who are providing him uh, with access to the live video feeds are, you know, knowingly doing this. They know exactly who he is. The, what's interesting here is the New Orleans Police Department has asked him uh, for to, to, to hand over basically his database of people who have signed up for this because they want to register those people and find out you know who exactly has security cameras that if there is some sort of incident, some sort of crime, the police can go directly to them. His answer is no, I'm not giving you any of this information. Um, you know, these are people who have elected to participate in my program, and, I, and it would be, you know, infringing on their privacy uh, if I were to give you access to their cameras directly. Uh, so he, he, he's refused to do that, and so there, there, is some, there is some tension between the New Orleans Police Department and, and Brian, and, and, you know, they, they both admit it, it's pretty open, uh, that there is this tension, but they still do work together. Uh, and he does help them in many ways, uh, you know, solve crimes, um, get people convicted. Um, so it's it's a very interesting dynamic. I noticed in your story um, the number of New Orleans Police Department homicide detectives is at its lowest level in five years. Yeah. You know, ten years after Katrina, the murder rate remains very, very high and is worrisome. Could this be a way – I mean, I guess I'm digging for a financial angle. Should cities consider programs like this? as a way to help catch murderers or catch violent crimes and cut, cut down on their staff. Because you said it's $100,000, and you know, two, two detectives or one detective is probably $100,000. Yeah, I, I, think, I think there needs to be a, still a clear distinction between you know, who's granted the power to, to really you know, direct the flow of law enforcement. I mean, I think the, the problem here is there's a frustration from the police side that uh, you know, Brian is like, and in some in some instances, they've they've told me that he has maybe overstepped a little bit and tried to you know dispatch officers to a particular scene where he thinks something is about to happen. So uh, yes, I mean theoretically, you know this is this is a help for the city. This maybe privatizing uh, the system made things more efficient. Um, but but there, I, I do think that there is to the police department's point, you know. There needs to be a clear distinction between you know, a business owner who you know, has these cameras and law enforcement who are trained and who know what they're doing and who uh, really, you know, their job is built for this. And he was a New Orleans police officer for, it looked like, three or four years. Why did he leave the force? Uh, you know, I'm, frankly, I'm not too sure. I think, I think he, uh, he got really involved in surveillance. So he was a patrol officer in the early 90s. And then he became sort of a, uh, a white-collar uh, criminal investigator for a few years in the mid to late 90s. And then he started doing a lot of video surveillance for that work. And actually, you know, he, he left the police force to start a, a company that, that essentially focuses on private surveillance. So he sells, you know, cameras to different organizations all around the world. Um, this project he, he started more recently in 2011 um, – 
really because of just a frustration with you know crime was very high, um, and, and the city still had not developed its own surveillance or camera system at all, and he felt that he could basically do better. Anything else that we need to know about this story? Speaking with Eric Markowitz, writer for the International Business Times, he wrote an article recently called Meet the Man Who Runs New Orleans Entirely Privatized City Surveillance System. Anything else you want to add that we didn't hit on? No, I think that about covers it. I mean, I'd be curious to get people's feedback if they, uh, you know, if they feel like this is uh, something creepy or something that, that, would, that they would welcome in their own communities. Thanks very much. You can email Eric Markovitz at e.markovitz uh, at ivtimes. That's e.markovitz at ivtimes.com. And if anyone wants to email me, I'll send you his email as well. You can tweet him at, at Eric, E-R-I-C-M-A-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z as well. With that said, you can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You can always go to ivtimes.com, and uh, you'll find him there as well pretty easily, all things considered. So the stock market, let's get back to the market. And, you know, we just talked a little bit about uh, what's being funded in venture capital. And it's really, you know, security and some hardware, think Fitbit, um, how to hire people. There's not a lot of venture capital pitches going on right now for social. So there's a lot of money falling for small businesses. So it's not, <clears throat> it doesn't have to be, you know, a $15 idea. It could be a five-cent idea. Um, one example of a company that was pitching at an incubator con- conference recently was a condom company that presented it, and it said it's a non-toxic condom. Now, you know, plastics and rubbers and things like that, you're like, that's kind of chemically or something like that. And he says that women want it. <clears throat> but instead of talking about the technology that made it non-toxic, he talked about the cost, where he says it costs five cents to make, and, you know, one, it costs five cents to make with 12 in a box, and you could sell it for $15. And it's like it's all about the margins. Um, it's like the razor company that you've heard a lot about, you know, where you can get a razor a day and it's delivered to you. And um, it's not the concept of you have to, you know, get some sort of huge business going. It could be a very small niche business that has really wonderful profit margins tied towards it. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Taking a quick look at the markets. Um what we have is kind of in the red. It's, it's kind of zigzaggy today, to be quite honest with you. Uh, both the NASDAQ and the SP 500 have hit green for just a skosh, just a minute. But it's opened down, went up, opened down, uh, goes down, goes up, go, goes down, goes up. So not a lot going on right now. China, is, China banks are warning of rising bad loans and falling margins as the economy slows. Things can get worse. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Is the all 
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Ten years after Katrina, you could still see Katrina all over the city. Um, so, with the ten-year anniversary, HBO has been running, rerunning some of their specials that they put together, some of their documentaries. Brutal, very costly, expensive. Now, oddly enough, there's a hurricane heading towards Florida, and there hasn't been a hurricane hit Florida in four or five years. And yesterday, I said on the show, I love hurricanes. Keep in mind that that's not funny, but it is insightful financially speaking. Hurricanes do something that, and tornadoes and earthquakes, I wouldn't mind an earthquake cracking up 101 right now, just taking the road apart because it's already been taken apart and now we, and now it would actually get fixed. Um, there's some really dangerous parts of 101 and 880 and 680 and 580, um, 24. We, we need to upgrade our roads. And that's what natural disasters do. They force us to upgrade our homes and upgrade our roads and upgrade our infrastructure. It's just throwing it out there for you. Is it worth it? It is economic stimulus, whether it's worth it or not. So the S&P 500 enters Friday up 8 tenths of 1% for the week. Where will we close? Will this week actually be a good week? The Nikkei was down 1.5% for the week. Shanghai Composite Index down 7.8%. The Hang Seng down 3.6%. Today we're seeing strength in energy and materials. That's kind of interesting. Uh, Oil had a good week. (laughs) Oil had a good week. It's one of those things that I did not expect that. Hi, Um, Markets are still in the red. We're a couple hours in at this point in time. I'm not, you know, elated or depressed from what we're seeing. China banks warn of rising bad loans and falling margins as their economy slows. China's largest banks set a tough year after posting their weakest half-yearly profit growth in at least six years as the slowing economy forces the lenders to make even more provisions for soured loans and squeezes interest income. What's interesting to note about China is as big of a front that they have that they've got one leader and that all the decisions are made in the government um, on the national level. It's really not the case. They're a lot like the United States in the sense that they've got a lot of districts and governors and mayors that are all making and contributing into the economic decisions. Um, I don't think we're done with volatility. I think we've got more of it to come. Typically, this was probably the craziest volatile week that you've ever seen, um, if you've been paying attention. But it doesn't usually end in one week. One, we don't know what the Fed's going to do in September. And two, I think the China devaluation was a game changer. A lot of investors across the globe are bracing for a possible September rate hike by the central bank. Nevertheless, that outlook has become more uncertain. Um, as far as you know, what federal banks can do and not do, I don't think the markets want higher interest rates from the Federal Reserve. I think the market's pretty used to cheap, low cost of money. Um, China's government decision to devalue its currency, the yuan, shows a lack of competence by China's leadership. They say that there are two types of economists, those who don't know and those who don't know they don't know. And we've kind of realized that China's that one. Um, So a lot of extrapolation happens really, really fast. And sometimes we have to go back and say, okay, what should we be doing? And again, I continue to focus on setting up your portfolio to be diversified setting up your portfolio to have 
more exposure to domestic investments than international. Um, I'm not against European. I don't really like South America. South America, it's pretty interesting if you look at it. Remember the Chilean miners who got stuck? They were these national heroes and what have you. Um, you can't come up with that many mining stories in your life, can you? But you can come up with the Chilean miners. And you could come up with Derek Zoolander working in the coal mines with his dad for about two minutes and getting the black lung. <coughs> Pap, I think I got the black lung. Um, to a music medley, nonetheless. Um, where am I going with this? Okay, so the Chilean economy is all about mining. They've actually got a, uh, an incubator project where Chile, their government, will invest in companies that could potentially turn Chile into Chilicon Valley. Um, that's the whole thought there. They're getting some success. They're getting some misses, though, too. Um, in the world of venture capital and who do you fund and who do you don't fund, it's pretty competitive. But So Chile makes mining stuff, right? And they're trying to diversify their portfolio with more tech, but it's 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 very, very slow. Um, and that's why I don't like South America. It's, you know, if you look at Brazil, you're looking at economies in South America that are, you know, they pull commodities out, whether it be oil or, or coal or... Um, iron ore, it's really, really important that you like grasp the concept that China consumes that stuff. And in the last 10 years, when China's economy has grown at 6, 7, 8, 9, 10%, that's, the, that's supporting those economies. And now the United States is going, hey, we're going more solar. Hey, we're getting more gas efficient. Um, and the presidents throughout the years have you know, pushed the auto industry to up their MPG mile per gallon. And that's really hurting South America. Um, you know, Russia's having problems, so I don't think we're anywhere near close to the volatility ending as far as uh, mathematics go. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. U.S. consumer sentiment fell in the month of August. Um, consumer sentiment doesn't really mean that much to me because I'll, I'll, I'll be like, well, I'm doing good. But, you know, my neighbor, how does he make it ends meet? Doesn't he inspect houses? Like, you can't make good six figures doing that, can you? Low six figures, sure, but mid six figures, no. So sometimes we'll project on our neighbors what we what we feel about. Consumer sentiment in August um, came down to a reading of 91.9 from July's 93.1. Um, that's lowest since May, and it's below the median forecast. So uh, people are getting a little bit more nervous. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.